You're listening to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. My name's Jack, and today I'm joined by uh, Aiden and Jake. What's going on, guys? Not too much. Just been doing a little bit of work, chopping some wood. Obviously excited now that we're getting down to the business end of the season and just enjoying life, basically. What about you, Jake? No, nothing as intense as that. Just the same as every other week, just work and watching the games when I get home. So it hasn't been very exciting, but that's okay. Jack, what are you, you uh, chopping wood for? Oh, uh, my friend, he's like, he works with his stepdad. They're like arborists, so they cut down trees. So they have a lot of wood that needs to be split so they can sell it. So what yeah, you do is just chopping wood yeah. for no reason there. But yeah, uh, no, I just went outside the apartment and just took some trees uh, down because I yeah, felt like just it. Daily yeah, exercise, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> daily exercise. Yeah, so uh, we left off on last week's episode. Obviously, United and Everton have both played three games since then. Um, today we'll be going over all of the action for both clubs. And then we'll also be discussing Manchester city and their financial fair play results um, from the recent, recent legal dispute that was ongoing for a while. So we've been waiting a long time to hear about what is going to happen and what was going to um, what's going to happen for next season with that. And with the champions league, uh, we also want to discuss the five sub rule. Uh, which has been announced that the Premier League will be allowing five subs for all teams next season. Um, we'll give our thoughts and our opinions on that as well. Uh, do you guys have anything else you'd want to add? It's a little bit of a shorter episode today, uh, but do you guys have anything else you want to add? Um, just you, we were touching on that uh, right now we have conflicting schedules, so we'll get a more of a kind of a system for the show down pat and sorry if it's not the most organized right now but we're just having a little go we're just going for it and having fun hope you enjoy that's it (laughs) yeah it's a it's a good point like there's obviously there's games during the like the middle of the week which we haven't seen before and usually the games are on the weekend but once this season ends the next season uh begins you know we'll, we'll be a little bit more organized and uh even she'll have a little bit of a more structured format i'd say yeah, uh, but for now, yeah, we just want to you know get some episodes out, get give our opinions and 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 go from there. So uh, apologies for the um, inconsistency, I guess. But we're uh, we're just giving it a go, and then we promise next season will be better and a little bit more organized. Uh, with that, I guess we can get started. Uh, do you guys, I'll start with you, Aiden. Do you want to give your thoughts on Manchester United's uh, week of fixtures? Yeah, so I guess we haven't been on for a little while, but so I guess they had uh, three games that we have to cover. The uh, I don't know. I guess I'll go in order of when they happened. So that makes sense, kind of, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit of a topsy turvy week. The uh, the first game was against Aston Villa, and I guess it's over a week, eight days, I guess, since I that played that game. But it was a bit of a topsy turvy week. That one started well. I was a bit a bit nervous going into that game, like all the games this week, just thinking that uh, maybe this unbeaten run will come to the end or drop points, and we'll get on to that later. They did drop points, but Aston Villa was pretty convincing. 3-0 win. Uh, 
I just remember I was very pleased with Greenwood's uh, goal. That was a banger. Obviously, we had to have another pen in that game, just as Barchester United does in every game. <laughs> and other than that, I think I think um, it was just another slow start, if I remember correctly, for that game. Aston Villa they got off to quite a slow start, which was kind of the theme of all the games. Um, yeah, but other than that, we'll move on from that one because that wasn't really too big of a contest, I don't think. Yeah, no. And uh, then it no was the Southampton. Yeah, Southampton game. That was a bit, a bit more of a, a shock result. A bit disappointing. Jake and I were gutted after that one, the two-two draw when they had an opportunity to, to go uh, into third place. But that's okay because. Top four is still in United's hands. They play against Leicester on the last day, and who knows, maybe Chelsea will drop some points in their last two fixtures against Liverpool and Wolves. But back to that Southampton game, it was it was exciting, I guess. It United off to another slow start, like I was mentioning, and they had to kind of get spurred into action by the goal from Armstrong. Uh, it's been a lot of football, so I can't exactly remember what, what happened on the goal, but all I remember is that I was a bit – just disappointed I think I was disappointed in Maguire I don't know if like a lot of people gave him blame but I think he just kind of kind of blindly came across and left the back post open even though I don't think our, our left back was anywhere to be found Armstrong was just wide open to touch it in but I just thought he could have just maybe looked over his shoulder instead he just came flying across but he didn't even deal with anything and just left someone wide open, but that's okay. And then uh, obviously the very disappointing Obafemi equalizer in the 96 after Williams and Shaw both had to go off. So that was a bit shocking. I don't want to go into the Palace game because I've been talking too much right now in one go. So I'll let Jake handle the, uh, what his thoughts were on those first two matches. <laughs> yeah. So um, like you said, with the Aston Villa game, there weren't <clears throat> many talking points. It was pretty much what was to be expected. Um, oh, wait, wait. That, yeah, yeah. The only talking point was, like, wh- whether people thought that was a pen or not when... Yeah, for Bruno. Yeah. What, what did you think? Um, I A lot of people didn't think it was a pen. I just thought that the defender was really clumsy. Like, he, I don't know. I think he kind of left himself in a bad position. Like, I would be annoyed if United got that pen against me. But, like... He left himself in a bad position by, like, leaving his leg out and sliding forward. Like, I know that he couldn't really stop himself, but, like, he put himself in that position. So, I don't really know what he wanted. Like, I don't think, like, that uh, the VAR was going to reverse it because it wasn't really clear and obvious, even though that yeah. hasn't really been the running theme of how they've been using it. They've been – it's been shit. But, <laughs> yeah. So, I guess it wasn't – it was a bit of a soft one, but I think that uh, – who was it? Was it Kansa? Yeah. Yeah, he put himself in that position, so – I don't know. I I thought he shouldn't have lunged, even though Bruno was the one that kind of stepped on him. He was already lunging out. So, yeah, I don't know. Okay, that's fair enough. Bias, well, it was, it was Bruno who was – Bruno was just trying to turn him, wasn't he? He yeah, was already – like, he, his back was towards goal, so I don't really see why – if you said it was Konza, if Konza, why are you stepping – if he's face, if he's not even towards – if his back is to the goal, why are you lunging in? It doesn't really make sense. Obviously, he's yeah. trying to turn him, but – just a little bit clumsy. Yeah. Well, he was like facing forwards towards the goal and then he like stepped over the ball and like turned his back and kind of stepped. But at that, he kind of, he kind of conned console. Like he got him to dive in and he, he, in my opinion, he moved with, I'm pretty sure it was his left foot and then his right foot was completely extended out. And he, I don't know. I think it was soft, but 
I don't know. I, if it was me, I would. Even I was on a fit field. Sorry, I would have been shouting for a penalty all day. Like just watching it in full time, I thought it was a pen. I don't know, Jake. Sorry. Okay, no, no, it's all good. We have a a difference of opinion for once. I just I didn't think it was a penalty. Like I'm, I wasn't obviously I wasn't upset. I was like, oh, the referee shouldn't have called that. Like this is so annoying. But it was just just in my opinion. I just don't think it was it was um just enough contact. But you guys were right. Like he did lunge in. He did he did put himself in that position. So there's no. Mm-hmm. right it's not like it was a 100 percent a mistake it's just that one's it's a subjective call right it's some people think it was a penalty some won't and there's not really like a a clear definition so it's just down mm-hmm. to opinion but but yeah that was it for that game um yeah the southampton game was was so uh, it was heartbreaking at the end really because you're just hoping United can hold on for the three points and just put them in a great position for the top four where they don't need to to rely on themselves to win the last three games, but now, they, now they're now they in that position. Um, well, probably in that position. But, yeah, the Southampton game in the first half is like, is like United have never played against a, a high press. Like, I don't know. It was shocking to see them try and pass the ball because the, the high press was obviously disturbing them a lot and they couldn't really figure out how to play with it. But... Mm-hmm. Having said that, they did score two goals in the first half, so it wasn't all bad. But it was just Southampton really put them under more pressure than I can really remember from any team lately, especially since the restart. Um, mm-hmm. And probably, I'd say Southampton probably deserved to draw in that game. Like United weren't playing great, and Southampton did do pretty well. Like I, like I just said. But yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, it was. Sorry to cut you off, but now I just you're just kind of bringing back things in my memory. Like that was a shit mistake by Pogba for the first goal. Like, oh that yeah. Was, sorry, I couldn't even remember the goal the first time we were going over it. That was that was shit. Just like gets gets it stolen by Ings. Like usually he's good. Even if he feels him on his back, he can just turn and hold him off. But Ings just nipped in like a little fly and just took it from him and then fed it forward. I don't know. Ings was really good in that match. I thought. I don't yeah, know. He's he been really good in since since lockdown and then obviously they were really unlucky getting a shot into Williams injuries that forced them not to be able to have the sub mm-hmm. but uh yeah it was like Matic and uh I think it was Rashford and Martia well, they they all needed to do better on the front post um, yeah. or I guess it was just Rashford and Matic they need to do better on the front post when Bednarek flicks it on and then Lindelof he was a bit I didn't really blame him because he had to re- react super quickly but he fell asleep for a second and he got yeah, behind Obafemi the and then Obafemi just pinned him on his back yeah good finish, like he was there fair, for a sec yeah yeah if he was if he missed that he probably would never have played again <laughs> I'm not gonna lie but yeah yeah um I don't know what else to say about that one. I just thought I agree with some people that I was surprised that United kept persisting with trying to play it out against Southampton, but maybe it was just, I don't want to always blame things on him, but maybe it was just having Martial up front instead of a Gallo. They couldn't. Yeah. They couldn't play it long. Yeah. yeah, To hold him up, pulled it up. Sorry. But that being said, when, whenever they could break the press, they would get in behind on a counter. Mm -hmm. So, Anyways, I'm it was like a that. like a fifty fifty chance where they either get dis- dispossessed or create a good chance out of it. So yeah, um, but you're yeah. right. Southampton definitely uh, deserved to win that match, and the possession stats just really fell off once Pogba and Bruno both came off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which again, just another game where it just highlights the depth of the That's squad. That's what I was just gonna say. Need more squad depth. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jack, before we move on to the quickly do the, the Palace game? Any thoughts? 
Yeah, I think, well, like, my number one takeaway from when I was watching the United, the Southampton game, was, like, <laughs> first of all, just, I think, uh, like you said, it, they weren't helped by the fact that Shaw had to go off uh, injured, and then they, by the end of the game, they really were just defense, so I think, if I remember correctly, sorry, it's been, like, a week since I've watched this, but if I remember correctly, weren't they, like, five at the back by the end of the game? Just yeah. sitting back for the last about like ten minutes or so. Yeah, Matt, yeah. Matic and Fred, right? Matic um, dropped back in. I think. Yeah, just didn't. Like, Fred at left back. Yeah, yeah, Fred at left back or left wing. Yeah, back. just the injuries didn't help because when you look at it and see like what have United done successfully uh, in recent times, it's been their attack and the fact that they kind of had to go to like all of all of defend. Maybe they could have been. Uh, Maybe they could have had a better result if they went like more attacking, and maybe yes, they would have conceded a couple of goals doing it, but just try to outscore them by the end. But I think at this point, when you're getting injuries like mo- like most of the teams are right now, it is about the the man management and rotation and making sure that your key players, especially in United's case, I mean Pogba and Bruno, subbing them off so they're fresh for for most of the game, so they can kind of dictate all of. Um, but I, I think my number one my number one takeaway is um, when you're looking at the big picture of United's like current form is the fact that they're still in the race. They haven't fallen off. Like even with that equalizer for Southampton, it doesn't. It's not like they lost the game or anything, and it was un, an unexpected result. Even though I think most people would have expected United to win that game, uh, they're still in the race, and they can still get top four, which is a uh, Obviously, the the end goal for them. Yeah, just had a yeah. goal difference. So, yeah, and just the last thing I'm gonna say about that game, I feel like just the players were kind of they seemed like tired, like this because yeah. they they played like a historic like amount of games in a row, right? Wasn't it like from mm-hmm. when was the date? Ninety three or ninety six? They haven't played that same eleven for six games running or something like that. Yeah, something so, like that. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know if you want to touch on just the Palace game quickly. Uh, yesterday, obviously, it was yeah, a pretty, yeah. pretty interesting match. I mean, Palace got off to a bit of a decent start, kind of giving us a scare. De Gea had to be on his toes early. There was obviously that Lindelof penalty shout. Some people thought that was a penalty. I didn't really think it was a penalty, but I don't know if you know what I'm talking about when he came in on IU um, and took the ball. Right? Yeah, the one from behind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when he was coming across. Yeah. And it, it was like a breakaway almost, and he just mm-hmm. came across and took it. I don't, I don't know. I think he got the leg and the ball like at the same time. I don't know. There's always some, some very close calls with Varchester United over here. It's hard to say. <laughs> but we kind of got let off the hook because uh good thing that Juan Bissaka didn't have his leg a little bit more outstretched or else they would have found the yeah. equalizer there and that was a bit of bad defending. That was another one where it reminded me of the Southampton goal with Armstrong, where I know Timbo wasn't back in there in his position because we lost the ball quickly. But Maguire gets sucked over without even checking his shoulder, and then the back post is completely empty. Like, Mag- like Maguire is he, he does really, have his deficiencies. Yeah, he really pisses me off, to be honest. Like, I think, <laughs> I think, I think. Like where and let's go back to the Southampton game. Like, where was the big commanding center back there? Like, right at the end of the game, like. He was marking Saka in the area. Like, what the fuck was he doing? Pardon my language. Yeah, that's, he was just marking his own man. That's Anyways, what we need him for. 
Yeah. Anyways, uh, back to the Crystal Palace game, I guess. It was a it was a good result. We got to see Lingard, which which made fans laugh a little bit. Yeah. It's not really a big talking point of the match, but <laughs> obviously Rashford and Martial linking up really well. And even though we a lot of people try to talk down on him, Martial's been playing excellently lately, and their link up has been fantastic. Rashford with more of a creator should have finished another chance going back to the Southampton game. Sorry to keep jumping back and forth. It just it's been so many days since these games have happened. It just sparks when uh, I think it was Bertrand just blocked it after that. Uh, oh yeah, play. With Rashford had the flip flap and then came inside, fed the one two with Martial and then shot it. Yeah, I put that one out of my mind actually. I was, I was upset. Block. That should have been good. Yeah. But I think it was overall another con- convincing performance. But I'm I'm getting a bit nervous that United have started off slow in every game and Yeah. And that the makes Christmas. me ner- that makes me nervous for the Chelsea match. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> just the, the Crystal Palace game just quickly. It was I watched it at at around 10 p.m. after my work. I had the game recorded, and I had my internet turned off, so I didn't know what happened. And the whole time I was watching the game, it was just so stressful. Like, you could just see Palace putting so much pressure on United. Um, and I, I was convinced that that game was going to be another one that was a draw. Um, again, there was like a – Palace don't press nearly as much as Southampton, but there were still parts in the game where they would, and it still – it would, like, disrupt United. So that was stressing me out a lot. and. At one point in the second half, United only had one shot on target and they were ahead. I mean, obviously, it's not it's not the most important stat of the game, but it just reflected how well Palace were playing. Um, and just going back to the penalty, it's, it's rare that we disagree twice, but I think that one probably should have been a penalty against Lindelof too. Just because, not because I don't think it's it wasn't a good tackle because he did poke the ball, but just in, in this day and age, if you tackle from behind in any way, it's normally given. So I thought, like, if you if you go by the rule book the way they have been for the last couple of years, it probably should have been a penalty. But, of course, very glad it wasn't. And, yeah, Marcel and Rashford, it was nice to see that they're, they're both competing to be the top scorer at the club, but they're still always willing to set each other up no matter what. Um, they're putting the team ahead of, their, ahead of their goal tally, so that's just encouraging to see. But, yeah, I don't know if there's much else to say about the Palace game. It was a good win in the end. Keeps United uh, out of the top four just on goal difference. Last thing about any of the United games, I just want to say I didn't really think McTominay was that great yesterday. He's just kind of shuttling the ball, but mm-hmm. I think that's why Pogba didn't really look amazing. I think we were discussing this is because, I don't know, he doesn't really have anyone to play it to like alongside him sometimes. He's like how you were saying, he was just like trying long balls and sitting there. I don't know. If he has Matic, he can usually just bounce a pass off him. But Scott Scott's always nervous on the ball, like, to be honest. Yeah. He always looks nervous. He's better, I think, just against the team when we don't have the ball. And then the last thing is about any of these games for United is I think that was definitely a red card for Emeu, but we won't come. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. On Greenwood in the Southampton game. Uh, that was for sure. Yeah. From an unbiased perspective, 100%. He literally could have snapped him. Like, All right. yeah, he was you. pretty fortunate not to the way he landed but it was definitely a red card thank right. you jack i actually have a question for you too um so considering we were talking about it the first podcast about how pogba and bruno would fit in um we all th- said that Pogba would be better as a number 10 to influence like goals and assists and he hasn't scored or assisted very many obviously he's been playing well but does that like worry like Aiden from United fan and Jack just from the outside? Does Pogba like does he need to get more goals and assists, or do you guys think it's working fine just the way it is? 
Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've been listening to a couple of podcasts uh, of people who are actually professionals in what they do, not not me just reading and watching. But yeah, yeah. Uh, from what I've heard is like, um, and this is from interviews of ex-players and players who have played against Pogba, and player i can't remember who it was but they were, which doesn't help but the players saying like when like it's different when you're watching pogba versus when you're when you're playing against them and the fact that when you're playing against them it's so difficult to get the ball off of them and just his influence on a game just him controlling things moving the ball trying to progress it and get the ball forward and just cycling it even if he, isn't scoring or assisting i think just from me based off of what x players have said his influence on the pitch makes uh, a huge difference even if the, it, he isn't directly contributing to uh scoring or assisting his teammates but um it, it wouldn't it wouldn't it would maybe it would concern me more if if i was united fan and united weren't weren't winning or picking up points yeah. and he didn't seem to be doing anything but it could be like not not to compare him but the the way that Liverpool fans say, "Oh, Roberto Firmino is incredible," even though he hasn't scored at home in like like five years, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. So, well, he's performing another role for the team. Um, he's obviously important. But, Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, I think that we're just talking about Pogba's position. I think he's still fine as like a a number eight or just kind of sitting in the middle. He doesn't have to burst forward too much. I was just at first wondering how it would work out, but now that I've seen it on the pitch, I think that it is it is good how they're, they're running it with Bruno at 10 and, and Pogba a bit further behind. He can just, doesn't even really seem to me, I could be completely wrong, but it doesn't even seem a lot of times like he's like really even trying too hard or running his gas tank out. He just kind of sits in the middle and sprays the passes around and just moves from side to side and collects the ball. So I think if you're talking about goals and assists though, I think that will just come, like, especially when they have someone like Matic playing behind, give him a bit more freedom or, like, beside him, give him a bit more freedom to get forward. But if we're playing with McTominay and him, I think maybe he'll have more of instructions just to stay back and and help him out. Um, So, yeah, I think he's – but to answer your question, I think he's playing just fine right now. And he's been playing well. I can't really complain. It's just nice to have him back in the team. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to – just go on it quickly like of course i'd always want more numbers like more goals more assists but you guys are right like he's found the level of consistency um that he hasn't really had that much at united before and yeah well since he's found this consistency like i was just talking about um just need to see the goals and assists coming up and uh having him influence every match the same way and and we'll be happy with that i think that's all for United, the boys. I love the club, but we've been talking about them for a, a bit too long here. Maybe we should move over to the uh, the blue <laughs> side of the podcast. Jack, how are you feeling about Everton in the last three matches? Uh, yeah, it's been a it sounds it's been good. Quite a bad week for their form. Yeah, it's it, it hasn't been promising, but <laughs> you know, as, like as a fan, didn't really learn anything new. The team, I think, this week especially. Being a fan, you always want your team to be good. You want to, you want to say, "Oh yeah, they are good," because you're biased. And I think for a lot of fans, or in my case especially, I try to be optimistic with with the overall plan and what's going on with the club. But I think the uh, the blue tinted glasses are are finally off because I'm looking at this team and there's about 
two really good players on this team, and the rest of them are either bang average or they're they're not very good. Um, and that's just the way it is. We we're playing the four four two system under Ancelotti, and uh, we don't have many players who are uh, fully comfortable or suit the suit the formation at all. But obviously, if we're going to back the manager. Uh, because we trust Carlo Ancelotti more than we trust these players. Uh, but, yeah, overall, like, just, there's two games left in the season. I just want the season to be over. And, the, yeah, the games, it's painful to watch. It's like, it's like watching Burnley without any of the set goals or without any of the mm. defensive ability. They're just, they're just pretty, pretty bad, just not good to watch at all. And, like, the midfield, ugh, I, the midfield just might be the worst in the Premier League. It's It's – terrible to watch but i don't know there's yeah uh, do you guys have i think jake for me because otherwise i'm just i can rant about this for 20 minutes but i'm sure nobody maybe well, maybe somebody wants to hear it but I, it's just gonna make me liverpool fans probably, are taking so. pleasure if you rant for 20 minutes yeah go on yeah. jacob <laughs> well it's just like <clears throat> the first thing i wrote down just when i was watching um Especially against Southampton, just I'm just not going to go long. But you see how quickly they adapted to like Hasan Hoodle and they're playing well. Um, so like, how long do you think it'll take until Everton progress? Like, not just get better, so they you know, so they might finish in the top half or anything. But um, how long do you yeah. think like Everton's plan until they get like where they want to be? Like, which is what challenging for top six? I'm assuming. Well, yeah, it's it's uh, obviously the, the goal is to be in the Champions League um, every single year, ch- challenging in, in, for the Champions League places. That that's what that's what Farhad Mashiri, the owner, said when he first bought the club in in uh, 2016. So four years on from that, and you can it, well you can easily make the argument that we that the club has actually regressed and we're yeah, worse than at that point after spending over ha- about half a billion half a billion spent and we're like arguably worse. Um, and I've seen a lot of people criticize um, Marcel Brands, the director of football, but in my opinion um, and listening to other podcasts and other fans, what they've actually said is that Marcel Brands, who's been recruiting for Marco Silva's four, two, three, one system. I think I said this last week, recruiting for the four, two, three, one that was supposed to change to four, three, three. 442 is a completely different system and we just don't have players plus the defensive midfielders like essentially we've been playing without a, a defensive midfielder for like all of lockdown because Gabamon's hurt until like next year Fabian Delph is always hurt um so you have like Gilfie Sigurdsson Tom Davis and Andre Gomez none of which are even close to being able to perform in a 442 properly Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to, to answer your question, Jake, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and the, obviously the virus doesn't help because they need midfielders. So if I'm going to give you an, a, a proper answer, they, if, or like a first step, I should say, they need to sign center midfielders cause they, they can't, um, they can't, they don't have any, they don't have anybody in center midfield. They have ghosts in center midfield. So I don't know. Uh, how they're supposed to progress like the def- like all the defenders they don't have any support the attackers don't have any support and when we lose the ball the the only time we win it back is when it goes out for a corner or a goal kick there's no ball winner so 
Um, yeah. yeah, first first step. If I can give an answer, first step they need to get like center midfielders. But yeah, from from that point on, they're just gonna have to trust the plan. If there's even a plan in place, you never know with this this club. It's ugh. yeah, yeah. And um, actually, your answer pretty much ties in perfectly with my next question. It'll lead me onto it. it's like, how high is Everton's ceiling like right now with their current squad? Um, and keeping in mind that there might be like COVID restrictions, so not enough money to spend or, or to improve all the areas. So, so like, what is their ceiling right now, considering the fact that they might not be able to make all the additions that they want? Uh, well, it, it depends because if we're talking about like the financial restrictions from the club's perspective, I'm not too concerned about that. Nancho okay. has already said like we need energy and like that's where we're going uh, to. Like they, they are going to sign midfield, like center midfielders. Luckily, in this 4 4 2, it's very easy to see that, that, uh, that Everton's problem is their midfield. But uh, their ceiling right now, if, if next season started today, they like honestly, they would be close. I don't think they'd be relegated because two up front, like just scrapping away, they get enough goals for Charleston and Calvert Lewin to stay up. But honestly, like closer to the like quite close to the bottom i'd say the midfield is yeah. just such a problem um but yeah at least if that's what you're implying like would owners not invest as much this summer uh, i'm not too concerned about that but they they do need to spend wisely which is something can i don't know if you can uh fully trust the the management i i do but you know you never know the, yeah. the players that they've bought over the years you never know what what's going to happen but all right and just going off of what you've been saying, like what would be acceptable for you for next season with, with it being like Ancelotti's first full season and getting the midfield signings, hopefully that you're talking about, like what would be acceptable for you? Cause like, of course, like top four, top six would be ideal, but would that be like, would anything below that be a failure for you or no? No, when you're like, you gotta be realistically, like, it's, it's sad to sad to see, but I don't, I, there's, I'd be shocked if they, uh, like close to the top six i would say honestly like between seventh and tenth but it is sad to say because you see teams that are coming up from the championship over the last let's say like decade or so and they've completely leapfrogged the club like teams even like like leicester who who have had a like obviously they had the title in which nobody expected but they came up from the championship they've got ownership who has a plan in a specific direction that they want the club to to work towards and they're they're sticking to that plan you have clubs like wolves who are like they're they're great obviously i don't know how 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 solid that that plan is long term from a recruitment perspective with the the with george mendez um being like the number one agent that they use and that's about it but then again they've they've jumped and even for this season, you could say Sheffield United, like Chris Wilder, Sheffield United, whoever Everton play next. And by the way, just we don't even have to discuss that, but Everton are going to get absolutely manhandled in their next game, I'm, I'm sure, because I saw Chris Wilder's post-match interview from their last game, and uh, he didn't seem too happy, so I would expect them to kill Everton. But, yeah, like it wouldn't be a disappointment, but – because the team you see how weak it is in some areas right now, as long as you can see consistent improvement and improvement in individual players, um, I think that the club will be headed in the right direction. Uh, but like, honestly, only time will tell. They also have to make sure they keep clearing the dead wood and 
been opening up the wage bill too for players who aren't aren't part of the future plans. But yeah, just from like a could I just say something or like just a f- touch on a few points that of all those questions you're mm-hmm. kind of just mentioning, just from like an outsider perspective, just to answer like where. I think that they could hope to be for next season if they got some center midfielders and he had a full season. I feel like it would be realistic to like hope, like you don't know that, like I don't know that this is going to happen, but yeah. just hope to get like eighth eighth place. Mm-hmm. Like that would be, I think that would be a pretty good season. Yeah. I don't know I, if that's just me. And then yeah. I, what are you going to say? Yeah, no, I was just saying like you, like it's it's been the last couple of weeks, obviously most Everton fans are, well, I think all all football fans get a little bit carried away sometimes when their team's performing really well. When you have a four four two system and players who, I don't even I don't even blame their effort. I just don't think some of are like they're literally just. Do you want to single any of them out enough. right now? I don't have any. Do I want to put any of them on blast? Uh, not really, but especially next season. And I can say it's for anybody listening. Next season. Um, when we're a little bit more organized with the podcast, when we have, uh, uh, when we go over and watch and down things we want to discuss, and we'll know a little bit more about the the details of each game. I will one hundred percent have have people that I will exploit, and uh, if if I don't think that they're performing, but yeah, for now I just don't think I just don't think the players are good enough. So like you just have to call it what it is. They have about two really good players in Everton's squad: Richarlison and Luca Dean. The rest of them are they're okay. Some of them are, are decent and have some potential, but then others like they're just not just not good enough for mm-hmm. the system. But what about yeah, Pickford? What yeah, I was gonna say, All do right. you want Pickford next season or in future seasons? Or are you just done with the? I know De Gea has made a lot of errors, but are you just done with Pickford? I I'm gonna be honest. He is. First of all, shouldn't be England's number one. When you look at statistically, he's been the second worst, like one of the worst. Yeah, he's second worst in the league behind Kepa this season. Kepa's awful. He lets like everything in. <laughs> yeah. But it's more to do with his, like his mentality. This guy, I don't know if, I, don't, I can't remember which game it was. And sorry for anybody listening. Um, we'll know more about the details when the games are all on the, like, you know, on, on the weekend and we get everything organized, but working throughout the week and, and stuff, everything gets a little mm-hmm. bit. We watch, um, we watch three matches. We, they can, they don't, yeah, they won't exactly. blame us. They all blend together. Fair enough. Yeah. Please, please have some patience. Thank you. Uh, but in one of the games, Pickford, I think it was against Wolves. We were Wolves, losing. Yeah, I remember. And he let one of this, yeah, the easy shots goes through his Go legs through his and legs, he dies yeah. and gets it on the line. It, it goes through his like, jumps on the ball on the line. He sticks his tongue out and is looking directly at the camera. Yeah, and it, it's on it's on Twitter. Like you'll, I think I'll, most of you guys would you would have seen it, but he's sticking his tongue out. It's like, I, why are you laughing? You're you're three 0 down, getting absolutely destroyed in this game against a team that just came up last season. Like, why are you why are you smiling? It, like you look like an idiot. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna single out one person. Yeah, sell Pickford. If you get anywhere near market value for him, just get rid of him. He's he's terrible. Um, yeah, I gotta be honest, Dave. And I thought I thought you guys were. I just tried to erase him from my memory. If I'm honest, I was thinking about outfield players, but he he's the worst. He's terrible. Uh, yeah, yeah. And just touching on it, I think he's 
played his way out of the England setup right now, or at least probably yeah, the that's... third choice behind Pope and Henderson. So we don't mm-hmm. have to worry about that for England fans. Anything else yeah. you want to touch on either of you guys for Everton or you just want to just get a bit uh, of a happier note here? Well, last thing, uh, don't have to discuss it, but they apparently, apparently they have submitted a bid of 14 million for uh, Hoiberg on Southampton which he's obviously he's going is his, his in the last year of his contract. If they get him for any, like anywhere of a like more inexpensive price, he I looked at the stats and everything and he would 100% be an upgrade on the current midfielders that we have. Not that like any player wouldn't be because it's yeah, so yeah. bad, but he looks decent for that price too with the current market. But uh, that could be promising. So we'll have, to, we'll have to keep an eye on that, but that's all I have to say. Um, there's, yeah, thank God. End the season. There's two games left. Just the rest of the teams can play. Everton should just stop. It's fine. Forfeit the games. Literally, like, yeah. What's the point in playing? We're <laughs> they're so bad. But uh, we'll we'll move on. Imagine enough. Imagine being that. a Norwich fan. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, they lost. Oh, well, yeah, they're done. Sorry to <laughs> Norwich. There, they've been relegated. Villa- That's and just before we move, don't spend before anything. we move off Everton, I was really hoping that Villa wouldn't do that to themselves and concede right at the end of the game. They had a chance of staying up until that happened. Like, well, yeah, they now they need to win their last two games and have other results. So there you go, Everton relegated yeah. club. Also, quick shout out: Jack Grealish is incredible. Jack Grealish is incredible, and he's he's definitely like out of all the English players over the years that get a lot of hype, Jack Grealish is actually an incredible player and it's literally a one-man team. He's very, very good. But we'll move on. Uh, move on from that to discuss uh, Manchester City and their uh, uh, Champions League ban has been overturned. Now, Jake, do you want to explain? We, obviously, we've been... We've been waiting for the results of this for some time now. Jake, do you want to give a little bit of an explanation as to uh, what's what's going on with that? Yeah. So I've got my, my notes beside me, so um, I'll be fine. So their original verdict was for um, – it was for not reporting the accurate value of sponsorships with Etihad, which is owned by the city owners. So there's a conflict of interest there. Um so their original verdict was a two-year ban and a 25 million pound fine um, after UEFA reviewed the case and went through everything. Um, but then the offenses were from 2012 to 2016. And of course, City appealed with the UEFA punishment. And um, when the case went to CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, um, it was that the whole thing was for artificially inflated uh, sponsorship agreements, like I said. Um, and But the decisions from CAS were that um, either the, the accusations were not established, so, so that means they couldn't um, accurately be proven, or they were time-barred, so they were from too far back. So the case for the time-barred is that UEFA can only bring cases against teams or clubs for a five-year period. And like I said, in the city case, it was from 2012 to 2016. So most of those years are outside of the five-year um, restriction. So that was why they were time-barred. But the city did get fined £9 million, and that was for breaching Article 56 for failing to comply 
with the investigation, such as uh, hiding emails from UEFA or just not not uh, procuring the, the, all the information that they needed, which was strange with UEFA because I listened to one. It was a um, a football lawyer, and he mentioned in the case of the time bar that if the offenses are are like that, you could tell that they've happened. They're proven that the time shouldn't be a restriction. So there, it's kind of murky still even after the investigation. But yeah, like we knew a long time ago that there was something going on with that. Um, I always bring it back to this, but there was an email from one of the city's high executives that when, when one of the investigators died that was investigating their case, the city executive sent out an email to the rest of the city executives and said, one investigator down, six to go. Um, so that's, well, that's pretty messed up, but it's pretty clear that they knew that they were in breach of the rules and they were, they were just trying to avoid them. And this this wasn't the case by mistake, but I guess they they won the case and there's no Champions League ban now. So they went from a two-year ban and 25 million pound fine to just a nine million pound fine. Um, And that's that's the extent, but we're not sure yet again. But it seems that UEFA might appeal this decision to a Swiss federal court. So who knows where this is going to go now? Mm -hmm. I would like to also point out that we're not we're not legal experts or anything and we're also not confirming that it's like we're not confirming city 100 percent did any of this stuff it's mm-hmm. just based off of what we've read listened to and, and, and researched uh it's just a little disclaimer yeah um but i i do i was listening to a podcast jake and found it interesting it was about there's a lot of the, the investigation had to do or from city's perspective and what they're arguing seemed to be the fact that it was the, the way the, or the whole um investigation involved the way oh, that the way they got they the email investigated yeah the, like mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily the fact that they were breaching the the ffp rules but it was the way in which they were trying to um prosecute them yeah i, do, I was listening to a podcast and, and i believe in england like you said that it was the five-year five-year period is where they're allowed to investigate and i was listening and i can't remember who it was but they said that i guess in england um, clubs are allowed to like delete or completely eliminate their statements after seven years. So if, if it was from the 2012 season, yeah, obviously they they're allowed to do that. But I think a lot a lot of the um, from from a fan's perspective, from someone who's not an expert, a lot of, I think a lot of the uh, disappointment or or whatever you think about the situation comes from the fact that they weren't cooperating uh and that kind of proves that they may have been doing something that um that they were not supposed to and therefore breaking financial fair play rules but what what do you think Aiden I don't know I just think it's what happens in football it's just a lot of corruption around FIFA and UEFA yeah and I don't know just from my perspective I know I'm a United fan but it seems pretty clear that they were doing something wrong I don't know I don't want to say that Mm -hmm. they were but it would and anytime there's big amount of money involved with rich people they make things go away quite easily so yeah be a a big part of it Mm and uh yeah i don't know they're just gonna get back to their normal ways of just spending a load of money now this summer so that'll be that'll be good but on that topic i just i think it's really messed up what jake was saying about that investigator um I guess if he was murdered, I'm not saying he was, but if he was murdered over this, like what, what's going on here? It seems a, a bit, a bit much, but uh, I guess I'll never get to the bottom of that. These kind of things get covered up and whatnot, but 
yeah, I don't really have anything to say about it because I just I'm not really surprised that they they got away with that. I don't know the rules. I don't look yeah, too much past list. what's happening on the pitch, to be honest. So I'm not really an expert in these kind of things, but I just think it's clear from like a an outsider perspective that they were trying to cover their tracks in several ways, and and I guess that kind of shows that they did it. So yeah, and the fact that um... oh oh yeah, and my last thing before Jake goes on is it's just like. It's just like nine million. Like they can literally wipe. Like Mansur can wipe his ass with that. Like it's literally nothing. Like that is nothing. Nine million for this guy. He yeah, makes that um, in like a day. Yeah, well, sure. No, Aiden. He. I actually saw this. It is relative that. because because like a team like Burnley that would be a. a yeah, big I saw time, that too. I just don't remember yeah, the numbers going. What was it? He he makes apparently he makes nine million in one and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. So there goes the fine right out the window. What were you going to say, Jack? Sorry, we're getting over. No, I was, yeah, I was just going to say, like, obviously the fine that they received is, it's obviously, like, it, it's kind of subjective because in Manchester City's case, like, nine million doesn't really affect them at all. But in the team, if that that same penalty was, was given to a team like, let's say, in the Premier League, it's a team who doesn't bring in the same amount of revenue like Burnley, that is a substantial, yeah. substantial penalty. But I think the main... The main thing that we can take away from this is that you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on at the the highest levels of football with a lot of money involved, like you said, where where uh, we don't fully understand why why uh, decisions are decisions are made. But um, from a wider perspective on the topic of financial fair play, what do you guys think? Uh, what do you guys? What are your opinions on the current way that financial fair play is, is set up? Do you think it's helping helping teams, or do you think we should remove it if if things like this can happen? I'll just go quickly because obviously, like I was saying, I don't know a lot of, a lot about this stuff. I'll be completely honest, but I remember when it was first brought in, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great, you know, like it's going to keep people like PSG and Man City under wraps. But clearly, if they can just hire big lawyers and get away with it, it doesn't like what's even the point of having it. I mean, like I don't know if they're already buying all these players, like all the best players, anyways. So uh, I, I don't really know how much like how it's set up, but. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. really seem to be helping that much. Maybe it's, maybe it's just something that I thought it was for the big clubs, but maybe it, it's more for the the middle tier clubs, so they're not spending over what they earn. I don't really know. I'll let Jacob handle it. Yeah, it could be, but I don't, I don't know like where UEFA and FFP goes from here because now let's say let's say PSG they want to break the rules, they want to spend whatever amount of monies they do. Um, how can UEFA? defend it because PSG can just bring in the exact same arguments that city have and they can win the case again. Um, so I don't really know. I don't know if they're going to change it or um, they're probably not going to abolish it, but they're going to have to change something now because city have found a way for other clubs to, to get past the rules and win cases against them. So, and it's also, I just don't want to be like a conspiracy theorist or anything here, but it's weird how, because PSG and City were both in the same boat, right? Back in 2016, they were both fined 49 million pounds and had the Champions League squad size restricted. Um, but PSG's president, uh, Nasser Al-Khalafi, he's on the... Sorry about the pronunciation. I don't really... Anyway, um, he's on UEFA's board and like some of their committees, and they didn't get prosecuted to the extent that City did. So it 
kind of makes you wonder like why like what were the two differences in the cases obviously i'm not defending city one because i don't like them and two because i don't know what what went on behind the scenes but it's just it's just strange how the the club with the president on the board is they get away scot-free and the other one they have to go to to cast to get the case um overthrown so who knows yeah like before i move on like obviously like we were saying before jack gets his opinion there's like a a ton of it's hard for us to answer these kind of questions because like they're like we're saying there's so much stuff behind the scenes that we have no idea that's going on so like who are we sitting here in Barry, ontario or toronto to say that like what's going to happen moving forward like like newcastle they if they get the takeover and and they're just buying up all the players is there going to be any restrictions against them like jake's saying they can they can just use the city excuse. And also I don't really understand why this wasn't brought forth a little bit sooner than if they're using this excuse of like it happened in the, in the five year period. Well, shouldn't have someone like sped up the process or was it just discovered more recently where it was after the five year period, if you know yeah, what I'm saying? I think it was um, a Portuguese hacker. I can't remember his name, something <laughs> Pedro Pinto or something like that. He, he'd figured it out in november december so i think that's i think that's why it's just it's it was so delayed but i'm pretty sure that's what happened true jack any thoughts on the uh, current uh, financial fair play setup oh well, i think if i can give the perspective of a fan from like a like a, a team that doesn't bring in the same revenues as some of these like uh elite level teams on the field um i think that you know yeah yeah that's what yeah that's sorry i couldn't think of that but <laughs> but i think uh financial fair play obviously i think manchester city are arguing i'm not 100 percent sure on this and i think it's something we'll have to follow and continue to look into uh but i believe that they're that they're trying to actually like um have have fifa change change the financial fair play rules so i don't know if the same arguments are going to um apply to other teams if they try to do the same thing um from a when you're looking at things from a business perspective obviously they're football clubs but at the end of the day they're businesses and if they can get an advantage on other teams um by doing so then that's probably what they'll do um is they they want i think that they'd want fifa to change the rules to make it more difficult for new money clubs such as Newcastle if they were to be taken over to not be able to uh, spend the, I don't like this term but it is like it would be I think it would be reasonable to just spend your way to the top if you're to come into new money so I don't think yeah. Manchester City or any of the elite clubs would <laughs> want that to happen City wouldn't so, want someone uh, stealing yeah, their blueprint so, would they? No, it's a, no. <laughs> Well, yeah, just I, like the main takeaway is that FIFA are going to have to change the financial fair play uh, model, and some of the elite clubs probably aren't going to like that, and because it's going to give uh, clubs with new money um, an opportunity to challenge them if everything's done done correctly, and from a recruitment perspective on the pitch, um, that sort of thing. So it'll, we'll we'll have to continue to follow it, but. Uh, we'll move on to the last just, last segment just here. Before, just yeah, just to make it yeah, before we move, move on, on, just to make it a bit more confusing, isn't it? Just because we like that, 
that isn't it just also the Premier League has different FFP rules than UEFA? Isn't that yeah, another thing? They, I think they yeah. do, but I'm going to be honest to anybody listening. I am I'm not an act, like I do not know enough about the financial fair play mm. rules to discuss that. And once again, just want to note that everything that we've said is based off of research that we've done. We don't want to make any statements that aren't true. We're just fans, and uh, yeah, just don't take anything that we're saying as as fact. It's just just our opinion, and uh, and and yeah, we're not experts or anything. But with that being said, I'd like to move on to the last segment where it's been announced that for the uh, 2020, uh, 2020, 2021 season in the press that. Uh, I'd like to know what you guys think about that. Uh, Jake, what, what do you think? Um, well, I don't like it because it favors the big teams with the big budgets and the big squads. Um, I can understand why they're doing it because next season will be in a shortened period of time. It'll be uh, probably October until May, so there's going to be many more midweek games, um, and that's including all the Champions League, Europa League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup games. Um so it's it's obvious why they're doing it, just to protect the players from from injuries, wear and tear. Um, but I don't like it because it's gonna it's gonna favor the big teams like City, Liverpool, with um with with deep benches. Um, so the teams getting promoted, like we don't know yet. But I'm just gonna use Leeds as an example because they're promoted. Um, let's yeah. say Leeds only have 11 starting quality players in their benches is. is useless um it's going to be a huge disadvantage to them because they won't they won't have the resources that the other big teams do um so i don't like it at all but i guess i just hope that they don't keep it permanently because there's been talk that they're thinking about making the five sub rule permanent so hopefully that they don't do that but i could i could just about bear it for for one season um aiden do you have anything anything to say no, I can't really say too much other than I think it's just really helping out Manchester City. They're just getting many rulings in their in their favor <laughs> one week here. I don't know. I, I personally I don't think Liverpool's bench is that amazing, but that's just me. I I don't that City uh, even enhances the need for every team but a team like united to get more depth you know even if they would have to pay the big fee some games they could rest pogba and or bruno and have jack Grealish on the bench if that was an option like sure woods always there as a super sub with a gallo and stuff like that those would just be things but overall i don't really like it obviously it's pretty pretty crap and if i was a in a way because if i was fan of a small club i'd be like well this isn't fair at all like but i don't know i, I wouldn't like to see it permanently either that would be yeah, ridiculous garbage. and uh are they still gonna stick with that format like if you sub at halftime you can use your three intervals but otherwise yeah. it's three intervals yeah. okay yeah i mean it's fine for one season i understand because it's going to be condensed it's not going to help a lot of teams but what do you think jack yeah, I, I think – no, I agree with you guys about if, if it's for one season, that's okay. I understand it, but it does in, – in my opinion, I agree with you, Aiden, as, as good as Liverpool's starting 11 are. I think 
if you're allowed to use five subs in a game, Manchester City absolutely destroy every single team. If you have seven, Riyad Mahrez, like able to come off the bench, who costs more than many teams in the Premier League's uh, like uh, transfer record, and he's just coming off of the bench, even though he's been starting a lot of games lately. You know what I mean, though. It just favors yeah. them massively. And my problem, I would be very, very concerned if they made it a permanent mm-hmm. thing uh, from, from two, two perspectives, well, not two perspectives, for two main reasons. One being the fact that um, I kind of think that it takes away from a coaching ability, in my opinion. I, I like to think that like uh, from a traditional, traditional standpoint, um, I think that when you bring, so you only have, you're limited to three subs, three subs, okay, but compared to five, which is about, which is half of your outfield team. Yeah, I like to think, I, I, if you know what yeah, I mean, no, I know, having, I know you. Yeah, you, like a tactical game, it's, it is, it's a game, like it's a, it's, when it comes to tactics and you have claw coming against, coming up against uh, like Guardiola and that sort of thing, seeing yeah. who can make the most yeah. out of their three subs compared to throwing half of a, half of a starting 11 out there. Um, and my second main reason is the fact that if you were to just make, oh, okay, if you were to just make this decision and say this is what it's going to be for now on, well, like, I, I just don't think it's fair for, like you said, teams with less depth. How are the teams with less depth just uh, right away? Like, I don't think most most uh, clubs are set up in a way that, no. like, that's like, okay, well, your bench, you're allowed no. five people off your bench from a recruitment standpoint, like the number of people that you, or number of players that you have at your club in each position, I don't think it really makes much sense. Uh, and I think that really it, it only favors the team a ton of depth already. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It would be different. I don't know. Like they wouldn't be able to do this, but like in, in my head, I was thinking that, you know, maybe if they, like if every team had a certain amount, that they'd be able to spend on these extra couple options, but really, it's it's some teams just have a head yeah. start if these are the new rules. Even though, like it, that's what it is, it's just a head start from yeah. a recruitment perspective. And some teams are gonna have to spend a lot. Just more a couple to things up, to add so. on what you're saying. I agree. I think like a big part of being a a manager is like if you only have three subs, but going back to what you're saying is, and you have a midweek game and a weekend game is knowing how to manage your players, Mm -hmm. knowing which ones to rest, which ones to start. But if you can switch out half your outfield players, you're not really showing, showing a lot of management skills. I don't know. You can kind of just gamble and play a weaker side and someone like city, you can leave De Bruyne and Aguero on the bench and then just bring them off and win the game in the second half. Like, even if you thought they were shattered, like it doesn't really, I don't know. It doesn't show a lot of skill. And then, uh, yeah, uh, the only way I could see it them making it fair if it was permanent is if they did it for like this season, and then they gave like a three season buffer where they're like or two seasons where they're like this is gonna be coming into play. So you could mm-hmm. prepare, yeah, you prepare, know what I mean? yeah, yeah. So you could prepare because right now like, you're right. Like City is just way ahead. Like I don't think there's anyone that can be even close to them. Like I'm sorry, I just don't see the quality of Liverpool's bench, and they're the only ones you could even put in the same bracket in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah i don't know but that's about it for that i think it's unfair yeah it's not not mm-hmm. good although any, any, before go we go anywhere else the good news is that there will be no water breaks next season so that'll be that Very, just cheered cheered me right up when i saw that yeah for sure not <laughs> not even needed right now after yeah. one, only one match i think they needed them to be honest that yeah I, 
watched. Could be wrong, but um, yeah, I just wanted. I don't know if we're going to move on to anything else, but I just wanted to give a little a little shout out to Arsenal. You know, they got a couple of good results this week. Uh, even though we'd like to slate them, we'll give them a bit of credit. They can be pedestal for now. You know, winning the North London derby and uh, beating Liverpool off some horrible mistakes. Liverpool, they've they been lost. on the sauce for a few they, weeks they, now. They, Liverpool, they, they lost against first two one. <laughs> too too much football. Too much football. Oh, that's okay. No, Typical. So hey, they beat the champions though. They beat the champions. That really is far sure. more important. Really showing my knowledge here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to me. No. I'm really showing no, my it's, knowledge. It's okay. Once again, I'll just point out once again, once the new season is, is set up, and obviously the games are still condensed uh, a little bit more, but not to the extent that they are currently. Uh, we're usually able to watch all of the, all of the games and you know, uh, give our opinions and actually know the details of each game. But at the moment, we're busy with, with work and other activities. Yeah. Um, so some of the details might get mixed up, that sort of thing. Last last podcast, I was confusing the games where everything got the penalty. So, in, um, in my defense, I just watched that whole day of just those games in highlights because I obviously, like we're saying, I wasn't there, mm-hmm. and I don't watch yeah. Arsenal games anyways. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> especially these these days. But anyways, another any other shoutouts? Anything else we want to cover on the podcast? Sad day, Norwich. Uh, Real Madrid. Real Madrid won the uh, won La Liga. Their thirty fourth league title, if I believe correctly. Yes. Yep. See, I can get some details right. Come on. <laughs> there you go, Sergio. What a man! What a captain! Lifting many trophies. Zidane. What about Zidane, lads? What a manager! You got to give Zidane very credit. Good. Very good. Not having Ronaldo. And then just coming back, getting leaving, coming back, no Ronaldo. Come on. That was very good. The Messi fanboys have nothing. They're not saying anything, the mess, these two Messi fanboys here. Hey, I'm giving credit. Good management. Very good. Team. Messi, Messi, Messi has had an amazing season. I just, we already covered it. I think Barca are sliding to somewhere that's not going to be looking great, but. Yep. Yeah, I think we'll we'll cover that. We'll have to cover that on a future episode, but that's definitely like a talking point. We spoke a little bit about it like a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. but I'm sure we'll cover it in a future episode. Do you guys have anything else before we wrap it up here? I, I do not. I just can't wait for these FA Cup semifinals on the weekend. Come on! And other than that, I just can't wait till we get in an episode where we discuss the team of the year, and you know. We got into Henderson and stuff because that's going to be a big talk. Okay, yeah, that that'll, that'll, that'll be, be the best. Only about two, two, three weeks away. Yeah, the uh, last yeah, the man. last match day is the twenty sixth of July. There we go. So it's coming very, very soon. Uh, so and that just, being said, it looks like sorry. just keep, just keep it locked over here because we're at the business end of the season and we'll be going in depth covering <laughs> everything you need to know from the top of the table and the bottom <laughs> of the table. Go on, Jack. There you go. I was just gonna just gonna wrap it up and say like thank you everybody for listening. Uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at OTL Soccer Pod and also get in your questions. Uh, send them into the, you can either send them on Twitter or you can email them to us at OTL Soccer Podcast at gmail uh, I said this last week, but in the future. Um, I'd like to have an episode just based off of email questions and Twitter questions where we can just spend some time 
uh, and go through all that, especially as the season is going to be done pretty soon. Um, that would, I think that would be a cool idea. It'd be amazing. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool. Just a good way to interact. But, uh, with that being said, I think we've covered everything for this week. And, uh, yeah, if you guys don't have anything else, I think, uh, yeah, I think we can say thank you for listening and we'll be back uh, next week. Yes, sir. Just some late breaking news here. Leeds have been promoted to the Premier League one minute ago. So another team to watch next season. That will be exciting. Another rival coming into the league. Thanks for listening. There we go. Stay tuned and we'll catch you on the flip side.